The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Is it possible to set boundaries without feeling any guilt? Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, and this is Everyday Better, a self-improvement podcast where every week I sit down with some of the world's brightest minds and bravest hearts to learn how we can improve ourselves, our relationship to others, and the world around us. So this week, I talked to Nedra Tawab. She is the instant New York Times bestselling author of Set Boundaries, Find Peace. The fact that it was instant tells me we probably all are in need of a few more boundaries in our lives. So Nedra actually started her career as a licensed therapist, and she's now a sought-after relationship expert. She's practiced relationship therapy for 12 years and is now the founder and owner of the group therapy practice Kaleidoscope Counseling. Every day, what she does is help people create healthy relationships by teaching them how to implement boundaries. Her philosophy is that a lack of boundaries and assertiveness underlie most of our relationship issues. And after reading her book, I would have to agree. Now, she says the definition of boundaries are expectations and needs that help you feel safe and comfortable in your relationships. They keep you mentally and emotionally well. And she starts off telling us how we can begin to think about building healthier boundaries with things like being clear about our own values listening to our own opinions, being healthily vulnerable with people who've earned the right to hear pieces of our story, and being comfortable saying no. And this last one was a kicker for me because setting a boundary and saying no is always accompanied by guilt. Nedra says we don't get rid of this feeling of guilt, but we have to push through the discomfort so that on the other side, we can find the peace we want. Now, here's why I love this book. When I started coaching, I learned a term that I ask myself when I want to figure out if the people I coach or if I am growing in the work that I'm doing. The question is, am I forwarding my action while deepening my learning? She does both incredibly well in this book. Nedra forwards the action with practical strategies to set boundaries, but she also deepens our learning with data, self-reflection, and of course, real stories from her clients. Now, the deepening learning for me always comes before I forward my action. You may find it's different for you. But she started with helping us by giving us the signs that tell us we need boundaries. Things like neglecting our own self-care, feeling overwhelmed, experiencing resentment, and avoiding. Now, these last two are the telltale signs for me when I need a boundary. I will absolutely feel frustrated or bitter towards someone or about something, or I will disappear, I will avoid if I need a boundary. And then in forwarding action, Nedra helps us figure out how to set them up. And the language she used really helped me feel like I could truly set boundaries confidently. I'm someone who works in a helping profession. So what I notice about myself, even in reading this book, is I often lean too far into the problems or challenges of friends and family. And so Nedra also reminds us that boundaries start with our self-regulation, the boundaries we put around ourselves and our discipline. In this episode, we talked about all of this, but my two favorite points she makes. First, the sad news she broke to me and I will break to you. None of us have the gift of mind reading, or maybe a few of us do, but we pay them to do that. 
But most of us think we do have that gift. And it causes problems in relationships because as long as we think we know what someone's going to think, say, or do in response to a potential boundary, and that reaction feels scary, we will not set the boundary. Fear becomes that big, hairy, scary thing that keeps us stuck. And then finally, I could not have this conversation with Nedra without talking about boundaries at work. What are the signs we need them and how do we set them in power dynamics that would historically tell us that we can't? How do we question that and do something a little bit different that supports our own well-being, particularly during this time? My favorite quote from Nedra was this, we all have busy seasons and that's okay, but if you are always busy, then it's not a season. That was my mic drop moment with her. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm always busy, so it isn't a season. All right, that's it from me. Grab Nedra's book at bookshop.org or amazon.com, and you can also pre-order her workbook on Amazon. I love a good workbook. Would encourage you to do both. Enjoy. So boundaries are rules, expectations, need. It is saying yes or no as a way to make us feel safe and comfortable in our relationships with others. I started this work, I would say even as an intern, and I didn't recognize it as the work of boundaries, but now as I look back, it was certainly helping people establish boundaries. My first internship was at a teen shelter And there would be teenagers there who were having issues with their families and they would come in for about two weeks and they would have individual therapy and family therapy. And I had the opportunity to help them speak with their families in a way that they hadn't been able to before. Lots of the issues were just not feeling heard, not not being able to have a voice and really breaking through those family systems of enmeshment, of codependency, forcing people to think and be a certain way. Now that I look at it, I'm like, whoa, those were boundary issues at the time. I'm like, I don't know what these issues are. I just have to teach people to be assertive. I have to help them, you know, communicate what they want to others. I have to, you know, help them with figuring out what their needs are. And that was the work of boundaries. Even very early on, I discovered this is, you know, this is really important work and we suffer without it. Yeah. And you get into this a lot around issues that come up with family and how hearing and reading about uh, what happens when we don't allow our children to set healthy boundaries and how that shows up in adults everywhere. Yeah. Many of us are little people on the inside. We have those little versions of ourselves. I like to refer to myself sometimes as little Nedra. Little Nedra needs a nap. Little Nedra is cold and needs a little blankie, right? And those younger parts of us, because of sometimes because of safety, sometimes for reasons we may never know, and sometimes for reasons that didn't need to exist, we had, you know, boundaries put on us. Sometimes, you know, maybe healthy, maybe unhealthy. But what happens is when we are not allowed to use our voice, we become voiceless. We stop speaking up for ourselves. We stop advocating for ourselves. 
So it is so important for caregivers, adults within the reach of a child to allow them to have and utilize their voice. It's such an important thing that I think sometimes we think that, you know, rearing children or, you know, being an adult presence, we have to demand respect by demanding certain things when perhaps we can learn a little bit from a kid. People, you know, become themselves even as kids. I was telling someone the other day that, you know, my kids are so much like their little baby personalities. So we're becoming ourselves. And the more we are talked away from being ourselves in adulthood, we will struggle to find who we are. You ever hear people say that like, I don't know who I am. I feel like I lost myself. And that happens because we're doing so much of what everybody else wants from us and very little in the way of meeting our own needs. I love how you share, you call yourself little Nedra. Like it's, <laughs> I remember being referred to in some, in some text I read at some point about being the little prince or the little princess and that we're all sort of even as adults living out this version of this unheard, unspoken little prince or princess that still needs to be seen and appreciated and loved and respected. Absolutely. I also, I don't call myself young, but sometimes I'll call my friends like young Rebecca. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know we're, we're all becoming, you know, who we're going to be. But in some ways we do have to reclaim those younger parts of ourselves that still exist. That's why my book is called Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. I don't think we're without boundaries. I think we've just lost our way and we need to go back to finding what we need and being able to communicate that. You know, as I was threading all of this together, you talk about feeling lost. And I, I know I've heard that and said that before. And I had a recent experience where I felt lost. And what helped me reclaim myself was realizing that my actions that I wanted to take were not mean. And that's something you talk about a lot in the book is this feeling of being mean and being a people pleaser. And a lot of the fear of setting boundaries being about how others will react. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. People pleasing in some ways is healthy, right? We do want to live in a world where we are conscious of other people, of their needs, of you know, what will make them happy, that makes sense. Oftentimes, we are pretending to be needless. We are pretending to want to do things that we don't want to do. We're pretending to have more capacity than we actually have. And it gets in the way of us being able to be well. You know, when I think of burnout, which has become such a huge thing, I mean, even before the pandemic, it was big, but within the pandemic, it's become huge. Burnout is essentially not having healthy boundaries. It is the result of saying yes to things and adding things to your calendar, doing more when you don't have the time or capacity to do it. And we continue to do that because we want to be able to help all these people. We want to be the best 
you know, performer at work. We want to be the best parent. And sometimes you have to say, hey, kids, you have to eat school lunch. I can't pack a lunch every day because I'm stressed trying to figure out lunch options. That may not be your thing, but something else could. It could be, you know, going to too many parties on weekends. It could be kids' lunches. It could be planning your best friend's birthday party. It could be doing all of the laundry in your home. There are so many things that we do that cause so much stress. And I always tell my clients, you know, as we add things, what are we subtracting? Because we can't add more without taking something off our plate. So when you graduate from college and you get a full-time job, what are you removing? When you have that full-time job and you get into a relationship that requires a lot of your time, what are you removing? Because you've added this big thing. When you have a child, what are you removing? There are things that need to be taken away and it may not be complete extinction of a thing, but it certainly can be minimized because we cannot do everything at once. We can only do some things. And so often without taking away things, we're continuously adding. And it's just not possible to function in a space of surplus. You talk about this superhero kind of complex of being able to do it all, which I think, I feel like I see more of that post-COVID and working from home. Somehow we all think we're supposed to be doing even more than we've done before. What is that? You know, it makes me think about that, that little us where we think about, Oh, it's not too much. You can handle it. Your backpack isn't heavy or that thing didn't bother you or your knee isn't hurt as bad as you think. It's just like more, take more, take more, do more, do more. And it's almost like we've learned that we can't even say no anymore. And we can, we can say no. And we have to get to that space where we are using our nose very wisely. There are things that we wanna say yes to. We can't even say yes to those things because we we have so many tasks lined up. <laughs> and so when I say no, I am saying no as a powerful strategy to be able to say yes to this other thing. Because if I am saying you know, yes to, to every single thing, there are gonna be some really big things that come up I, that I won't be able to do. And you have to be mindful of that, about that. Yeah, I always think about, and I don't always do it, but I think about saying no as saying yes to yourself. Yes. And in my my own process, I've found that I have struggled to say no, and I've said yes a lot when I'm not clear on what my values are and what I really intend or how I intend to show up in my life or in the world. Do you see that with people that you've worked with? Yes, values are a very valuable way to figure out what your yes and no is. If you are a gardener and you want to to do that all day on Saturday, right? And then on Sunday, you want to spend time with people and someone says, hey, would you like to X, Y, and Z? That's a beautiful place for you to execute that boundary and say, hey, can we do it tomorrow? Because you already know what your value is. You already know what your plan is. So being clear about what your intentions are helps you to make decisions. I think it's the best place to make decisions from. When we started this, you complimented me on my my bookcase behind me. And I love to read books. People are surprised that I don't have a ton of books. I have as many on this shelf because my value is to keep good books. (laughs) 
I don't want every book. I just want good books, books that I will read more than once. And so those are the books that I keep. I can't keep every book. So when I read a book and it's a pretty good book, I'll pass it on or I'll get a book from the library or I'll listen to an audio book because my value is to purchase books that I can reread because I don't want to have books all over the place. That is my thing. So what are what are your things? Who are you? What are some, do you value naps? Do you value um, spending time with your children? Do you value quiet time? If that's the case, then you have to figure out what things in your life are getting in the way of you living your values. When we figure out our values, it can still be difficult to set boundaries. And it's, it's definitely less difficult, but it's still difficult. And one thing I noticed for myself is that I'll have a value and I'll want to set a boundary, but what I'll be doing is catastrophizing what the other person's going to respond with. And how do we get around this? Like, I know you say we can't get around guilt when it comes to boundaries. How do we get around this like worst case scenario catastrophe that we create before we set them? Can you tell me what I'm thinking right now? (laughs) No, and you can't tell what other people are thinking either. That is not your gift. Most of us do not have that gift. For some reason, we think we do. We think we're amazing at mind reading. Seriously, if if we were great at mind reading, we would have no relationship problems. Yet I am employed. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> so that is proof that we are terrible at mind reading. We're terrible at it. So let's stop it. Let's ask more questions and stop assuming. Let's hope for the best as we're executing these boundaries. Let's give ourselves some grace for not always saying the the right thing when we're trying to execute the boundary. But what we cannot do is mind read. We are terrible at it. I've had people say to me, I bet you're thinking blank. 99.9% of the time they're wrong. They're wrong. <laughs> like you, you don't know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about, you know, this new song that's out. Why would you think I was thinking that? You know, people just You can't guess what a person is thinking. You cannot assume how they respond. And you will spend a lot of time doing it. And most of it will be inaccurate. It is so hard to admit you don't know what people are thinking. Because some you're right. You're like, that is not your gift. I'm I'm agreeing. It is not my gift. (laughs) (laughs) Most people who it is their gift, it's a short list and they get paid a lot of money. And right now their wait lists are until 2022 to tell you what's going on in someone's mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we we all think we're good at it. It's like, you know, and he was thinking, it's like, whoa, like, how did you know that? Like, did they, you know, it's almost like we're in some movie and we think we could hear people's thoughts and that's not real. We don't know. We don't know what people are thinking. Sometimes based on our interactions with them and how they responded in the past, we may have some indication of how they respond. But my hope is that things are are well received. And when they're not, I have to respond to that as well. You also share, because we do a lot of this like past behavior will tell us future behavior, mm-hmm. but you do a lot of sharing around how, how all of us change. And so our boundaries will naturally change. I think the thing that fascinated me about this book is what a simple concept that is so 
like difficult to put into place. But once you break it down, you're like, of course, we all change. So our needs and our relationships will have to evolve with them. Yeah. Since we talked about books earlier, let's go there again with the book example. I don't like to loan books. I'll buy you a book. I don't want to loan you a book. I don't want you to get water on it. I don't want you to spill any coffee on it. I will send you a book that you can have. Sometimes when books are really good, I buy two just to give it away. Hmm. But that has changed. My boundary, I didn't have a boundary with books. And guess what? I used to be upset, frustrated because someone has my Ayala book. Someone has my she come, She's Come Undone. Where is my colored purple? I mean, it was just like, I can't. Where is my book? Oh my gosh. I remember from somebody from high school borrowed a, a common CD. Where is my CD? <laughs> <laughs> And the funny thing about that is, I don't even remember who the person was, but I know someone. <laughs> Somebody did it. Yeah, I, I remember, but I'm like, I don't know if I could pick them out right now. I just remember it was a classmate and I was like, yes. And so you live and you learn. And from that, I learned I cannot loan <laughs> certain things that I that I want to revisit or that I want to have. And there are times where, of course, I can be flexible with that boundary if it's a close friend and I know for sure they'll return and they take care of books or something. Sure, I can change my boundary for this occasion. But our boundaries changed, change based on where we are, what we want. So never use the excuse of, I've never done that. It hasn't always been that way. They'll get upset because I've allowed this thing to happen for X amount of time. You can change your boundaries whenever you want to. We're taking a quick break. We'll be right back with Nedra Tawab. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with Nedra Tawab. 
as we change and recognize more about ourselves, become more self-aware and just evolve, we set up new boundaries, but also there's some flexibility. And I love that you share, there's like the porous, there's the rigid and the healthy. And we have this, you have this self-assessment quiz to figure out where most of yours are. Mine were between healthy and porous, but I wonder if you can share, you know, what is a porous, healthy and rigid boundary? What do those each sound like? Porous boundaries are passive boundaries. So think of you may have a problem with something, but you do not communicate that issue to other people, or you are pretending to not have issues, or you are unaware of what your needs are. And you're allowing things to happen that put you in a position to be taken advantage of. Rigid boundaries are the opposite extreme where your boundaries are so stuck in your convictions around people will not hurt or harm me that you don't allow any flexibility and you don't allow anything to penetrate those boundaries. There is no flexibility. So how I spoke earlier about allowing a friend maybe to borrow a book, you would never do that with a rigid boundary. It's like you can never, ever do this because this is my boundary. It applies to everyone, every situation, all day, never, 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 right? And then healthy boundaries are where there is room for you to say yes, no, create some rules, create some some expectations with people. You may not always get it right, but you certainly try. And even when you don't set a boundary, you go back and set a boundary just as a way to prevent issues in the future. So your poorest boundary would have been pretending when they got your common CD that you didn't care. (laughs) Yes. Oh, no. Keep it as long as you want. (laughs) Keep it. Well, they've had it since I was in high school. So that's 20 years now. (laughs) So they did keep it as long as they wanted. I don't know what CD player they're putting it in or how, but... (laughs) I don't know either. I'm, I'm sure it's somewhere destroyed. <laughs> oh, God. So when you, you talked about six types of boundaries, and in your book, you share that time is, in your experience of the six listed, where people tend to struggle the most. Can you talk a little bit about time boundaries and how we can shift that struggle? Well, you know, it goes back to burnout. We, we feel like we have more time than we actually act have. Everyone has the same 24 hours. Hopefully you're sleeping for eight. You are, you know, maybe working for eight. That leaves you with, you know, a little bit of time to do something and we just stack it on. I mean, we will, though the rest of those hours, we will try to do everything in our power to be productive, to do more, to say yes. And some things are just not possible. Rest is very important recovery is very important and preventing, you know, issues is very important. And so you have to have that time to yourself and time for things that you value. And unfortunately, we have given our power away around our time. Sometimes that is, you know, over committing. Sometimes it is allowing people to to put things on our calendar or occupy space longer than we can afford to have. You know, I have certainly encountered people having very long-winded conversations when they're in a hurry, right? And you're sitting there staring at the person and you're like, man, I gotta go. And we just don't know how to leave it. And next thing you know, it's been two hours and you've been talking to this person 
But how do we set the boundary of, you know, this sounds really, really pressing, but I have to, I, I know I ran into you at the grocery store, but I have to get home now. Seriously, you know, like I have, I have to get home now. Um, I hope you work that thing out because sometimes it's a stranger. You know, it's not always people in our life who are stepping on our boundaries. Sometimes it's it's coworkers, it's strangers, it's, you know, people we encounter throughout the day. And we have to be able to just very gently place a boundary to make sure we're taking care of our time. It can be difficult to look at a boundary being overstepped without demonizing the other person, saying that person's bad, mean, or trying to hurt me, right? It's malicious. How often do you really find that to be true? You know, I th- I don't want to say it makes us feel good to be wronged, but it does feel good to be right. And so if we're saying someone is wrong, then we are right. And so that's what I like to think of as painting someone as as a bad thing sometimes you know it it feels good to be right and so yeah it's to our benefit to say this person did this thing because it's like yes i'm right they did something to me but often when people place boundaries it is for them and not about you it's so important to remember that the more we practice setting boundaries the easier it becomes for us to honor other folks' boundaries. When people now say, hey, 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 I got to go. I'd love to catch up with you later. I understand that because guess who else has to go sometimes? Me. You know, when someone says, I'm not able to come because of, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, I get that. Why? Because I feel the same way about often not being able to, you know, participate in certain things. So the more we're able to place boundaries, the easier it is for us to receive them. And you share that boundaries are, you know, self-boundaries or something you talk about, self-discipline and how meaningful that is. And if I'm recalling correctly, you share that that's ju- that is just as important as setting other boundaries because we have to keep these also keep these things around ourselves that keep us well and kind of prioritize our self care. Absolutely. So often we think boundaries are to be placed with other people, and that's part of it. You know, we do say to people, "This is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I would like to have happen." But much of the heavy lifting is on us. What do we do when someone dishonors our boundary? When we think about time boundaries, who's responsible for our time other than us? When we think about having our needs met by people, how will they know our needs if we don't express those needs? So a lot of that is the work that we need to do to make sure that our boundaries are being um, met by other people. We have to be clear. And sometimes we have to do things. It has to be, I'm not adding anything else to my calendar. I will not be available on Fridays because that will be my rest and relaxation day. Those are all boundaries that you set for yourself. Being performative, wanting to meet my boundaries, and then when I miss them, feeling like I've really let myself down. How can people ease up on themselves and on others? Grace, you know, we don't always get it right and that's okay. There are times when our intention is to do one thing and we we miss the mark sometimes. We're 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 human. 
maybe we don't say no right away, but you could say no whenever you feel like it's a no. And maybe you've changed your mind or maybe you didn't have the courage to, to set it then. In my book, I mentioned this, and I've gotten a lot of questions about this, that if you are uncomfortable speaking a boundary, text a boundary, write a letter, you know, any of those things. I think the worst thing to do is to not set a boundary at all and to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation when you know a boundary is needed. And so whatever way you can communicate it, you could have just been in the person's face and they said, hey, you going to come to my party? Yes. And you could text them. And as soon as they get up and go to the bathroom, I will not be at your party. No, don't do that. But (laughs) (laughs) no, don't do that. But you get what I'm saying. That I regret to inform you. (laughs) I regret to inform you. I will not be at your party that I just said yes to one minute ago. Well, it's so funny. I get like, I have become this person who's like, I don't have serious conversations over text or email because my belief is things can be misinterpreted. But the way you set up boundaries and setting boundaries in your book makes it really clear. I don't think it's a conversation. I think sometimes we think that boundaries are like this topic of discussion and it and it can be, but you've been a child before. I know when my mother gave me a rule, it wasn't you know, now let's talk about why you shouldn't touch the hot stove. It's like, don't touch that. That's that's the boundary right there. That's it. You know, and we're not having a conversation via text. We're saying, I'm not able to come to your party. Now, this person could come back and say, why don't you want to come? Also in my book, I, I state that at your comfort level, you you can provide an explanation. If you are new to setting boundaries, I don't think it's a great idea for you to provide explanations why you will be talked right out of that boundary. You're not even good at setting boundaries yet. So now you give them an explanation and it doesn't hold up because they're going to say, oh, this is not really, you don't have a babysitter. Well, so-and-so can be, you just don't want to (laughs) go, right? (laughs) So it's, it's hard to give an explanation when you're not strong in setting the boundaries yet. So just be careful with the explanations. But again, there doesn't have to be a lengthy conversation unless it's a a ongoing situation or if you feel comfortable doing that. But I don't want you to feel like you can't set the boundary if you have to do it in person. Hey, we're in a pandemic. There are not a lot of things we're doing in person, right? We live in a tech society. And so how do we exclude that as a mode to communicate our needs? I love that, you know, just keep practicing. It will get more comfortable. Yes. I think about bike riding. I saw an adult recently learning how to ride a bike. I've known how to ride a bike forever. I don't even remember learning how to ride a bike. And as I looked at it, I'm like, whoa, this must be hard. I don't even remember the hard. It's just second nature now. And that is the way we can exist with boundaries. Of course, it's hard when we're starting. What isn't? But as we continue to practice, it just is, do you want to come to my party? No. Are you able to jump on this extra project? I don't have the time for that. You know, it just gets quicker. We get better at it. 
because we've practiced. We already know what our values are. Yeah. I mean, I noticed you, the the second part of the book, you talk more about the places in which we're very likely to have to set boundaries and how that looks. And you use stories and every single one of them, I found myself like almost feeling embarrassed because I'm going, oh my God, I need a boundary here, 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 and here. But what I see a lot of, and I'm sure you do too, is in the working environment, particularly in the last year and a half, but I would say absolutely before we're told that our level of productivity is equated to our performance. So the more we're on or always on, the better we are as a worker when we have an employer. And same for entrepreneurs, right? The better, the the more likely we are to achieve success, whatever that means. I'm curious how you work with people around work specifically and setting boundaries, particularly when there's a hierarchy in place. Asking for help, I think so often it is unfortunate the way that people will downsize and move three jobs to one person. And what happens is the person doesn't say, hey, this is too much. They try to figure out a way to do these three jobs. Knowing that this used to be three jobs, that means 100 and 20 hours. Is my math right? I'm a social worker, not a math. Okay. Your math's yes. right. <laughs> All right. All right. This used to be three whole jobs that you are now doing. So how do we, when you think about it that way, I can't imagine going from one job to three with the expectation of doing three jobs well. There has to be a shift in what productivity is for this new role, right? <laughs> because it can't be me doing the work of 120 hours. But so often we will take it on and we'll try to figure out a way to do it. And if we're we're failing this thing that is huge, that's huge. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure. No, you're not a failure. What you are is not three people. And so you, that job wasn't set up for you to do. That is not your gift. That is not your (laughs) gift. You are not three in one. And so you have to figure out a way to communicate that, that I need more help. I need longer deadlines. I need, you know, sometimes people can't hire for a role, but there are many other things that can be done. I know a lot of times people will say, hey, can you do this thing by, you know, September 25th? And I'm like, no, but I could do it by October 1st. That's where we can start if you want me to do this thing. I'm, I'm not rushing myself in that way because I already have things lined up. So just being very clear about your abilities because people do not know. And if we allow them to think that we can do more than we actually can do, they will continue to give us things because they think, oh my gosh, you're doing such an amazing job at this when really we are unwell. And so it's so important in work environments to communicate that. And if you need to use the example of 120 hours, please do. Because sometimes being that literal about things can be really helpful that people don't think about it. They just think like, oh, this is, and it's like, no, this is a really big thing. And we have to think about it as a big thing and not as a real achievable goal. You know, other work things that people have struggled with in the pandemic is, Working nonstop because they're at home. It's almost like it's no cutoff. If you have a home office, please only work in there during your work hours. If you don't have a home office and you have a dining room table, sometimes 
setting up an office situation at your dining room table and moving all of that stuff at the end of your workday to signal this is the end of my day. Now, there are times where you need to pop in and check an email, perhaps. Maybe there is a time when you need to you know, do a little extra, but do you want that to be your constant existence? We all have busy seasons, but if you're always busy, it's not a season. <laughs> so really figuring out how you want to work because we can't work nonstop. I mean, we can, but it will be not be healthy for us. Yeah, it'll lead us to, to burnout, which is the full breakdown. Yes. You mentioned James Clear a few times in your book, and that was his book was one of my favorites that I read finally this year. And what you just reminded me of is this idea of, you know, I live in New York City. So, you know, when we're talking about offices and other rooms, typically for most of us, it's like we're in one room or maybe we're between two rooms. But just the physical act of moving something out of your space to make it invisible instead of having it always there, which means you're always attracted to it, like the phone, you know, and we charging our phone in our outside of our rooms and at night instead of charging it in our rooms. It's just making it invisible, which it sounds like just part of undoing this habit of, of what we've been doing with work. Yes. One thing I've been thinking about is getting a desktop computer. I do pretty well with my laptop. I'm not typically dragging it all around the house. I've gotten better over the years for sure. But having a desktop, just so it's like, this is your desk. <laughs> like you cannot, you can't take me everywhere. Look at me. I'm huge. You can't take me on vacation. Just really having that as a deterrent almost. Like reprogramming myself to say, no, no, no. This is your spot and your spot only. And I love what you said with the phone charger. Picking a room and just making a rule within yourself to say, this phone charger can only be placed in the kitchen and not all over the house. It doesn't need to be charged all the time. Sometimes this thing need, needs to die and turn off and turn back on. I need to be away from it. The phone is not my bestie. You know, just having boundaries in place with yourself to keep yourself on target. That's one of the things I loved about Atomic Habits, that there are so many very small ways that we can trick ourselves. Like so many of the things that we do, it's just out of habit. It's not like a rule. It's not anything that's healthy for us. You know, waking up and, you know, doing whatever you do in the morning. Is that what you want to do? Do you want to hop out of bed and shower? Do you want to browse on your phone for 20 minutes? Do you want to snooze? If these are things you want to do, no problem. But if you don't want to do them, how do you figure out some small ways to create those boundaries so you're not doing it anymore? If your phone is charging in the kitchen, hey, you have no phone to get out of bed to and, and hop on. I love this, this quote you said, if you're always busy, it's not a season. <laughs> No, we're all living in this like busy is the is the status symbol that everyone's been talking about. Right. Yeah. I've been having a relaxed summer, which means Fridays I'm basically going to the plant nursery. And I just this is my relaxed season. So I just want to relax and chill out, you know, catch up on some TV shows. Fall will be a little busier for me. But I don't know. I don't want all four seasons to look the same. Like there has to be some decline in what I'm able to do because I don't, I'm, there are times where I'm like really busy and I can't function like that for a long term. I can do that for, you know, maybe a month, but 
that last week, I'm a little delirious. <laughs> so, you know, we have to be aware of our capacity. Of course, if, maybe if you're an accountant, you have a busy season. If you're, you know, a podcast host, things come in seasons. Like there are, there are times where we have to, even if it's not within our career field, we have to carve out, this will be my relaxed season. These will be the two months where I lighten my calendar and I really focus on maybe trainings or, you know, doing these other things and not being as busy as possible. There's someone that I know who does work around longevity and human performance. Um, something they phrased to me, the way they phrased it, I thought it was really powerful. Is in a previous episode, he said, you know, the average professional sports player is in that sport for between three and 10-ish years. We are going to have to be working and doing the work that we do for 30 plus years. So if we're in it for the long haul, it sounds like what you're saying is we've got to rest. We have to stop. We have to pause. And, you know, that takes, you know, if you're if you're in the constant busy season, it takes you stopping and saying, wait a minute, what's going on here? Yeah, I'm in my 14th year of being a therapist that doesn't include any internship. So I've been a licensed therapist for 14 years. And one of the questions I'm asked most by other therapists is, are you burnt out? But you have to figure out ways to recharge. So you're not burnt out. You have to figure out what those strategies are, but it can't be you continuing to add, 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 add. So much goodness in this. Being someone who's deep in self-development work, it's the constant recognition that this is the work of our lives. There kind of is no end to this work. It's a continual practice and you don't become perfect. You then you grow and you change and you evolve. And so do your boundaries in this instance. So do other things in your life, but that this is the work for us to focus on, to live more meaningful and more intentional. I can I feel from this boundary piece, more intentional lives. So thank you. You're welcome. So I'd love for you to just complete these three statements. Better humans are. Evolving. Better work is enjoyable and a better world has boundaries. Love it. Thank you so much for joining us, Nedra. You're welcome. Everyday Better is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdow and Rafa Fariha. Asaf Gadron makes sure we sound good in the studio. Joe Giorgi mixed our show. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of LinkedIn original audio and video. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming with me, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>